I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today, I talked to Doug and Angela Wentz. Doug and Angela lead the church in Houston, Texas. They've been in the ministry for 31 years. They met in 1989 and have been married for 30 years. They have two beautiful daughters. And Doug and Angela met at a campus devotional in Colorado where they attended college. They've, they've served full-time in ministries in Colorado, Texas, and California. And they are currently leading the Houston Church of Christ, where they've served for the last 10 years. They've traveled all over the globe as ambassadors for Christ, but recently, Africa has been a major focus. What makes their story so powerful is the background that they came from. Both of them experienced very, very troubled childhoods. Uh, Parents were in prison, drug issues, and these are the things we're going to talk about today is how they turned trouble and trauma into triumph. They've been able to redeem that past through the help of God and turn their lives into amazing inspirational stories. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on my program, I've got Doug and Angela Wenz from Houston. They lead the church in Houston, Texas. They are an amazing couple. I've gotten to know them over the past probably 10 years, and they've got an amazing story, and in particular, the story that blows me away is I've met few people that have a more unique or what I would say troubled background growing up and yet overcoming that to be able to give to others I think it's a very very inspiring story and I look forward to getting into it but before we do that I want to talk a little bit about the climb small church leadership conference it's coming up I'm excited about it. it's going to be December 2nd through 5th in Dallas Texas and it's for anyone who wants to grow wants to do missionary work, wants to be a leader in the future, or is currently leading a small ministry or small church. And if you're on the fence about it, I want to ask you to please sign up. Just go to robskinner.com and sign up. You will not regret it. It's going to be so encouraging. We've got a ton of people. We got way more than we had last last time, two years ago at the Look Up Conference. But I, I talk to people like, oh, you know, am I eligible to go? I'm not leading a small church. If you want to grow, if you want to take off spiritually, this is going to help you. If you're leading a small ministry somewhere, this will help you. And if you're a small church leader and you haven't signed up, I go, I, I just go, what are you doing? You really need this. This is, I know it because I lead a smaller church and I go, I need it. I need to be there. I need the encouragement. And especially with COVID, I mean, there is so much pressure coming at you from every different direction. And what's so powerful is that there's going to be so many resources that are given. First of all, on Friday, everything's geared towards helping you out spiritually, helping you to just be at your best. We've got a ton of professionals helping in every different direction, spiritually, your marriage, your personal life, just dealing with challenges. Then on Friday, you're going to be giving a complete curriculum for 2022, teaching, material, all sorts of stuff, practical preaching help, just ideas and tips. 
to help you to take your church to the next level for next year. I mean, it's going to be short, only three days, but it will totally transform your entire year in 2022. So I really hope to see you there. I, I look forward to meeting you and to being with you for those three days. It's going to be a fun, fun time. It's going to be a total kick in the pants. And so please sign up, robskinner.com. It's not too late. Please go. I'll see you there. Doug and Angela, welcome to the program. Good morning. Hey, it's great to be here. (laughs) I've been looking forward to this. We ran into each other, Doug, at the Flagstaff Church Planting, and that was a great, great time to, to be together. But I'm just really happy because you guys have such a unique story. Let's go ahead and get right into this and ask, how did you become Christians? Uh, Well, for me, I was uh, just turning 18 years old, and this is in Boulder, Colorado, Uh, you know, uh, not to get too far into the past, but I was really going through a lot in my uh, young life there and was just in a lot of trouble and started really begging for God to find me because I I was at the end of my rope and thought the only way ahead is going to be somehow with God. And so I started praying and was opening the phone book on Saturday nights, trying to find a church to go to. And uh, my the way that I was kind of weeding through them was which one was closer. And so, because <laughs> I had this really unreliable car. Um, so I started going to these different churches and just felt, just didn't, never made any kind of connection. Uh, people never would come out and talk to me. And so I felt really confused. I tried to open the Bible and I just didn't understand how that applied to my life. So I, I felt frustrated. Um, I was working at a, a job in Boulder and they'd asked me to move to a different location. And so when I went over there, there was a woman that was a disciple and uh, she was part of our church in Denver that was newly planted in May of 1986. And uh, of course, as you would imagine and expect, she started reaching out to me and asking me if I was interested in coming to a Bible talk after seeing me hung over on many Monday mornings. Uh, <laughs> I finally went to Bible talk and it finally dawned on me that this was really the answer to my prayer. And so got into the Bible studies and wrestled through a bunch of things. And I finally was baptized on September 28th, 1986. So you got yeah. met like right at the beginning of that planting. I did. Yeah, I was just, uh, so that was, yeah, September and it was just planted uh, out of Boston in May. Was that Marty Wooten who's leading that church? Uh Uh-huh. Marty and Kathy. Okay. Great guy. Okay. And now how about you, Doug? Uh, Well, for me, I started coming to church in 88 and, you know, again, without going to, I I was just in a bad place in my life, uh, trying to do better. You know what I mean? But just, uh, against my best wishes and desires. I couldn't seem to get better, you know? And, and uh, so I, I'd gone to several churches and, and, you know, nothing came of that. And, and uh, so I, I was getting invited on campus to uh, small groups and, 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 and things like that. And, and uh, uh, I finally went to one of those. And then um, I think, well, actually, I think I got invited to come to church um, a little bit before that. And I'd said, no, and then got invited again. I said, okay, sure. I'll come. And, uh, you know, if you call me, I'll come. And of course I'm thinking nobody ever calls, you know, nobody does that. That's right. my experience with my friends, you know, and those kind of things. And, and, uh, so I was out probably till 3am Saturday night and 7am my phone rings 
And I answered it. And, you know, the, the, the guy that invited me was like, Hey man, just wanted to make sure you're, you're, you're ready. We'll come by and pick you up in a little bit. And in my, in my mind, I was saying, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't do this. And uh, all of a sudden out of my mouth came, okay. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and I kind of looked at my phone, like who said that? And, and, uh, so sure enough, they came and took me to church and, uh, um, you know, I used to leave the small group Bible studies on campus. I, I used to leave them early because I figured out after the first couple that at the end of it, somebody's going to ask me to study the Bible. So I used to always go to the guy next to me, hey, I got to take off right before it ended. And, uh, you know, I would leave. And finally, you know, just came a point in my life. I just, I said to one of the guys afterwards, I said, I, I guess I should probably do this Bible study thing, huh? And uh, he's like, sure, you know. And so, uh, in, you know, I studied the Bible voraciously once I figured out how much I needed God. And uh, probably in less than 10 days, you know, I, I uh, you know, surrendered and became a Christian, got baptized. And so that's sort of the abbreviated version of, of how I got met and converted. So that was 1988? 88 when I started coming and I didn't, I didn't start studying the Bible till 89 though. So wow. that's how I got baptized. And that was at the campus at uh, CU Boulder? Yeah, uh, Denver. Oh, CU Denver. Okay. So you're yeah, right yeah. downtown there. Okay. Well, how did you guys run into each other? You guys are both converted in the same church. How did you guys meet and get together? Well, the first memory I had of him meeting him was at a, a campus devotional because we would sometimes have them together, the Denver and Boulder campus ministries. And I had heard about him before, and this is really going to out me, but um, <laughs> a lot of it, you know, he's still very handsome and he was just kind of the catch, you know, of the campus. And so when he was studying the Bible, the sisters were talking about him all the time. And, you know, this cute guy getting baptized soon. And, and I was just, you know, kind of a prideful gal. And I'm like, I'm not going to be part of the, you know, the fan club running after this guy, you know? <laughs> so anyway, he, he gets baptized and, um, you know, that, that fan club continued to, to go on. So I just sort of acting, you know, cool. And, uh, but at the campus devotional, he was sitting at the end of it. He was sitting by the, on a table by the back door and I was getting ready to leave and I was walking by and he was kind of, you know, messing around with the door, pretending not to let me out. And so we kind of had a little introduction there. And then uh, sometime later, uh, the couple that was uh, leading our campuses, cause we had, you know, the campus leaders for Boulder and then Denver. And then there was a couple that was over both. Sense. That was Kurt and Patty Simmons. And uh, so they, you know, they were encouraging us to go on a date. And at first I was a little bit resistant, like that guy, you know, <laughs> and, um, but uh, finally decided to go ahead and go. So we went on this date and it was great. It was, it was such a, I felt so inspired. And because we'd shared our backgrounds on the date, there was kind of this instant sort of understanding of, you know, oh, okay, we can get each other. Mm. And, um, and so whatever I thought about him before, was definitely changed on that date. And I came home feeling like I didn't want to like that guy, but if he asked me to marry him, I'd probably say yes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, that is really interesting. So what year was that? What, when like 90 or something? It was the end of 89 toward the end of 89. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's, before we dig into your backgrounds, because it sounds like your background is kind of what that common ground definitely brought you guys together. Can you just give us like an overview of where you've been? Like, how'd you get into the ministry and where have you been since that time? 
Uh, yeah. So if I leave anything out, she can help me remember. But it was 1990 and we'd started dating and uh, we were actually both getting ready to go on a mission team uh, to Lincoln, Nebraska. And I'd actually call up Kurt Simmons uh, one morning, a little bit before we were supposed to go. And I gave him the dunt, dunt, dun, 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 go big red because, you know, the Cornhuskers are red. And I said, and I said, Kurt, can't wait to be in Nebraska with you on this mission team. We're going to do great things for God. And then hung up and then I got uh, a call a little bit after that saying I had a meeting tonight uh, with Angela. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? So we got there and they said, you're not going to go on the mission team to uh, Nebraska, but you're going to go in the ministry. And if you remember back then, it was kind of like you had a choice, but uh, they basically it's like, we really need you and want you to go in the ministry. And so you're going to go in the ministry and stay here. And so that was in Denver. And so we actually ended up college, uh, Colorado Springs for the first six months to a year, I think of our um, ministry that was, but we were engaged during that time. Uh, so it was kind of like, Hey, we hope you guys are going to get engaged soon. And we did shortly thereafter. And so we were there for about six months and then we got asked to come back to Denver and lead the campus ministry that I'd been converted in just a year earlier. And so we came back and, and started leading that. And then gosh, I guess a little less than a year into that, uh, we got asked to move to Los Angeles. So we moved out there and uh, we're in the ministry in LA and we were in several places in LA over the history of our time. We were, we were all over that city, really. Um, we spent time in uh, South Central Los Angeles, almost four years in that ministry there. We were in what was called the South region before that. And then uh, we, we were in the West region. And then at one point in time, briefly in the North region, then we were also in the Inland Empire uh, <laughs> before we moved here. And uh, so after that, we moved, uh, we actually, we moved here from the West back in 2000, 2001. And then we were here for, uh, you know, three or four years and then ended up back in LA in the ministry for another seven years. And then we got asked to come back here. So we came back here in 2012. And uh, in between all that time, we, you know, we, we oversaw churches in uh, Salt Lake City, uh, Utah churches, uh, Kansas. We are over, uh, discipled the Kansas City Church and the Lawrence Church. And I think that maybe. And then we're part of uh, the African Mission Society now. So I go to Africa a couple times a year. She goes with me every other year. And uh, so I usually spend about a month over there every year in total, typically two weeks each time. So that's kind of a brief history. Wow. Okay. Been, been all over the place. That's for sure. Yeah. You were, you were in, in South central Los Angeles during the Rodney King riots. Was that 91 or 94? I can't remember exactly. 94? No, it was 91. Uh, okay. Because okay. I, I actually, when we moved from Denver to Los Angeles, we had a brief stint out of the ministry while they were trying to get funds to put us back in the full-time ministry. So we were both working secular jobs. Um, I was doing dialysis, working with the dialysis um, facility and Doug was doing sales. And uh, so my, we lived in the Bay, the South Bay area, but my clinic was in right in the heart of South Central. And so I actually had my day off and I was in a store and I heard over the loudspeaker, you know, it was one of those things you never hear, you know, right. it's an emergency broadcast system. Right. And, uh, they talked about the riots because the verdict had just been out. And so I had to go to work uh, the next day and the city was kind of, you know, it was pretty crazy. You know, the city was on fire. We had 
you know. Yeah, so we had one car. So I used to have to take her to work very early in the morning before I would go. And during that time, I, I would literally slow down at stoplights, even if the light was red and then speed through because that's what we're advised to do. And, and because, you know, people are getting attacked and, you know, we didn't necessarily look like everybody else there at that time. So we had to be a little extra careful. And, and then, so, so we got through that. And then a couple of years later, we actually went into the South Central ministry mm -hmm. and we were there during the OJ things. There were, there were riots from that. And, and uh, so it was, a uh, it was a really eventful time uh, oh for us gosh. there. Amazing as well. So. Yes. Wow. Lots, lots of memories. Okay. So when you guys started dating, there was an immediate bond like you shared, Angela. Can you tell me a little bit about your life growing up? Yeah, so for me, um, I was born uh, in Oregon to a uh, high school. My mother was in high school. She was about 16 years old. And uh, her and my father were not married. He was a few years older than her. And, you know, her and she in particular came from an extremely troubled background. And I think this was her escape out of that. Um, but just to keep it short, uh, they got married for a short time, but that didn't last long. Um, my sister and I ended up in a little bit of foster care and, you know, a uh, little instability there. But ultimately, my dad came to uh, take me back when I was about four years old because they were not together anymore. And um, he was dating another woman. And they lasted for a little bit, but ended up leaving her. And so I just, I just stayed with her. So she raised me sort of an unofficial adoption and then was remarried when I was 10. But from the time I left my birth mother, uh, which I was around four, I'd never seen her again until I was 19. So I had no real memory of her. Uh, I could find her if I wanted to, but we had no contact for all those years until after I became a disciple. And then I went to find her. So my dad stayed in there with me. I had visits with him throughout the years, um, but basically was raised by this woman who just decided to take on this stray little girl and, you know, and then she got remarried and they had some other children. And so, but I was the oldest of all, of all of those kids. My birth mom had my sister um, a couple years after me and then another girl after that, which I had no real relationship with until I got older. So Okay. So, yeah. so let's just wait a second. Okay. So <laughs> you got a teen mom, then they get divorced. Your, 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 your dad. And then he, he takes up, marries somebody else. And then you are raised by his girlfriend. Yeah. They, they did get married for a time. Okay. You know, his second wife, but uh, they were together for maybe, I want to say a year, year and a half. I think he walked out when I was just turning seven. Okay. How can um, he walk out? I mean, like he walks out, he leaves you with, with his, now were you calling that woman your mom? I mean, do you call her mom now? Yeah. Um, she passed away in 2013, but yes, I, I called her mom uh, because my dad, you know, had left when I was real young, when he came to come pick me up because my mother had said she was having difficulty handling two babies so he came um, to pick me up. He had this woman, Karen, my mother, uh, with him. And because of some things that had gone on in, in the home prior to that, I was really afraid of men. So I just was very skittish with my dad, distant from him. And I really clung to Karen. 
and got really attached to her really fast. She'd also gone through some real difficulty. She was from Chicago. Um, her brother was killed in a car accident. Her father had died six months prior in a strange accident. And so, you know, her life was turned upside down. So I think we kind of found just a real comfort and connection with each other. So I think it was just, she was only 20, I think she was 20, 21 years old. And here's this, you know, little, almost kind of orphaned little four or five-year-old. So we just kind of stuck to each other. And she told me, I don't remember this, but she said, when my dad left, um, I asked her, are you going to leave me too? Mm. And, um, and she said at that moment, she decided to be committed to caring for me. Oh my gosh. So that was kind of, you know, kind of our bond from then on. So, I mean, did you ever talk about that? Did you ever just say, Hey mom, I'm not really your daughter. I mean, like, did you guys ever have those kind of talks growing up or was it just assumed this is just the situation? Yeah, I think there was different times where I had deep insecurity. Um, you know, I love both of my, my parents. They were young people. You know, there was a lot going on for them. And we, we have a relationship now really close to my dad, especially. But, but I think at the time I had deep insecurity because I knew that my mother kept my sister And so I felt I internalized that is there something really flawed with me that neither of my parents of origin want to keep me, you know, and of course, that wasn't really the whole truth. But as a child, right, that that's how I viewed it. So I I had deep fear of being abandoned. Um, And so my response to that was, you know, to kind of survive and So I, one of the ways I did that was just, I need to be useful. I need to not be in the way I need to not cause trouble. So I just became hyper serving (laughs) and, you know, which works out great for me, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just really trying to adapt to, to the new situation. So we would have conversations because there was no official adoption. She just became a legal guardian. And when I got a little bit older, I'd asked her and my stepdad, Um, I really want you guys to adopt me because it was strange back then being in a home where all the children had one of them was their parent because my stepdad had three kids that he brought into their marriage. And then, you know, my mother was the mother of the other children. And so and I had a different last name. And that was just really, you know, that that was unanchoring for me. And so I wanted them to adopt me and give me a new first name. And uh, they couldn't do it because my dad really, my birth father really loved me and uh, wasn't going to give up the rights. And so I, I remained as I was. And um, so, yeah, but we'd had conversations because there was always kind of this feeling of if I mess up, I'm going to be out on the street. And, and there was a time when I was 16, I was, you know, I was being immoral and, you know, just kind of being kind of wild and crazy. And, uh, my mother had sent me to California to stay with my maternal grandmother. And she had said, I'm going to send you there for a week. And it was in the summer just to get you away from the situation. Cause she was pretty upset with finding out what I was into. And some of it was fear that I would become a teenage mother, right. like my mother. Right. And so she sent me out there, but left me there for the whole summer. Oh boy. And that really tweaked me. And I don't think that was obviously not her intention, But what it sent, the message that was sent to me is that if you're not, you know, walking the line here, you can just be cast off. Mm -hmm. And so I came back pretty, pretty upset and bitter 
Right. And I didn't talk to her for a week. Um, and we never really had a talk to kind of tie that up. I just kind of let go of my, you know, my silent treatment and, you know, sort of got over it. But that, that was something that carried deeply inside of me and had to really wrestle through with as a young Christian, especially. So, okay. Yeah. And then when we got married, you know, that would be something that would kind of impact me and our marriage too. just that fear, you know? Oh, I just can't imagine. So how was your relationship with your stepdad? Um, it was, it was great overall. It was great. I, when he moved in with us, I was 10 and, uh, I being who I was, I kind of, I was the oldest child. My mom really relied on me a lot. She was a single parent working a couple jobs. And so I, I had a high responsibility for a 10 year old. So when he moved in, I kind of was territorial. Like you're kind of moving in on my turf here, <laughs> my domain, you know, um, so we had, you know, for me, it was a little rough at first. I was kind of always very skeptical of people and untrusting. So I sort of kept my distance and kind of watching him. And, but he really was a, a great guy. He was very patient. We had a really good relationship because he was one of the few adults that would sit down and talk to me like, like a person, right. You know, he would have conversations with me about how, you know, how I was feeling, how I was doing. And so it actually was a, a real blessing because my mother, we, we loved each other, but we kind of had some, you know, we had difficulty in our communication and our relationship, but with him, he could kind of, you know, speak for both of us. Cause she was Irish, a hundred percent Irish. And so she comes with the red hair and the temper and all of it. <laughs> my stepdad's Italian. And you'd think that would be explosive, but he actually was just a real comical, great sense of humor lighthearted, easygoing, fun kind of guy. So it was a good balance. Wow. Okay. It really helped me a lot. So you went to CU Boulder? Yes, for a brief period of time. But yeah, I was part of the Boulder campus ministry. Okay. I mean, how did you manage to go to college after that kind of an upbringing? I mean, that's pretty, pretty tumultuous, to say the least. You moved out. Yeah, well, I moved out when I was 17. So I when I was met... Um, introduced to God and church, I was already living on my own. I moved out my senior year of high school. I graduated early, had all my credits. I did okay in high school. I was involved with a lot of clubs and different things like that. So, um, uh, but yeah, I, I just uh, was already out working and just wanted to try to find a path for my life going forward. So uh, working hard was not a problem for me. Um, being determined, you know, came, I think part of that came with just sort of an inherent character trait, but also that, that way I came up and trying to survive and make myself useful made me a very hard worker. So, you know, I think it, it was natural for me to, to want to overcome things. Wow. Okay. Let's, let's go over to you, Doug. Tell, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. So <clears throat> I was born in Dallas and from a pretty young age, I remember, you know, my my dad was taken away at a fairly young age. You know, I can still remember, you know, I'd just gone to bed and all of a sudden, you know, it was uh, hey, hey. all of a sudden it was, it was you know that banging on the door, and um, um, all of a sudden I hear police, police, and you know, I literally heard, can remember toilets flushing in the house, and uh, you know, this is. 1960 something early 60 something in um uh in dallas and and uh and next thing you know they took my dad and 
you know, he, you know, he got arrested and then was imprisoned. And so, um, so my mom had my sister and I, my older brother was already living with uh, her mom and stepdad. So she called him dad. So my grandma and grandpa, if you will, he was already being raised by them because she'd had him four years earlier than me, I think. So she was really young. And so she would, we would get together, you know, go places with my mom. And sometimes my sister and I would be playing. She's a year and she was a year and a half older than me. We'd be playing. And next thing we know, my mom would be gone. And so we might be there for a few hours. We might be there for a few days and until she came back. And so we got to a point where anytime we went somewhere with her, we'd follow her around wherever she went in the house. And, you know, if she would go to the bathroom, we would sit outside the bathroom door, you know, and play jacks or, or color or something like that to the point where sometimes she would actually crawl out a window and in whoever house it was, they would come and say, come on, kids, let's get something to eat. Your mom's gone and that kind of thing. Well, she had left us with my grandparents, I think one too many times. And so they actually took us to an orphanage, uh, turned out to be a Church of Christ orphanage, probably three blocks down the road from where we lived in East Dallas at that time. And so we got put in the orphanage. And then in those days, they didn't have the social programs they have to help single moms, to help parents with those kind of situations. So she never was able to get us back. And we got back in touch with her years later after we had been in the orphanage and been adopted. But um, she said she used to come to the orphanage and scream out our names, hoping somehow we'd run out and she could take us. But um, we were in, when we were in the orphanage, we ended up in a few foster homes and some of those, there was abuse. Some of those, you know, for her, some abuse for me. Then when we were back with my mom, she had different boyfriends at times. And, you know, I remember one of them abusing my sister and walking in on that and, and uh, basically being threatened if I didn't get out of here, you know, so those sort of terrible memories for a young person. But then we, uh, what would happen in the orphanage is sometimes people would come and they would take you out for a weekend just to kind of encourage you, sort of like a big sisters. We got to go to Six Flags over Texas a lot of times in those days, but <laughs> other times families would come and sort of test drive you for a weekend, take you home. If they already had family, take you home, see how you interacted, all that. And there were probably two different families that wanted to adopt me and not my sister uh, initially. I think she she was a little bit older, so a little bit more in touch with the damage and the fear and that kind of stuff. And so I vetoed that because I was like, she's the only constant in my life up to that point in time. Right, right. I, I was six years old when I went to the orphanage and didn't get out until I was almost 10. So almost four years in the orphanage. But in between there, we go to foster homes sometimes. And I don't remember any of those being good. One was pretty good. It was two women that lived together. And um, they were they were nice, you know, but it was weird because one of them, you know, so anyway, uh, but other than that, the foster homes were never very good. We actually got shifted to a different orphanage for a while. And that was that was even worse. That was a very bad one, if you will. And and so eventually, though, families, like I said, they would take you out. And I always look at it now as test drive you. Well, one family decided to go ahead and adopt us. And they were pretty young. I mean, I was you know almost 10 at that time. My sister was just turning 11. And so I think they were 26 and 27 wow. when they adopted us. So I was pretty young, you know, and, and so that wasn't without some issues. My sister never really panned out um, and she ended up, you know, anyway, there are different things there. But but yeah, so that was kind of uh, my childhood, you know, knowing that my dad was in prison and I never saw him. And so my mom, I had a relationship with her, of course, and then we went to the orphanage and that was it. They, they kept us away from her. They wouldn't let her see us because once we got put in at those days, it was like, 
you're up for adoption. You're not going back to that family. So they wanted to cut all ties and they did. Even my brother used to ride his bike and talk to me through the fence. Well, they ran him off because in their minds, I think they thought they were doing what's best. Like that part of your life is over. You don't need to be reminded or tied to it. So they wouldn't let him visit. And, and that was that, you know, and next thing you know, we're adopted. We have a new last name and, you know, we're, you know, this is our new life kind of thing. That old life is like, it never happened. Wow. And so uh, that was sort of, I mean, I can tell you more, but that's kind of the basis of it. Your brother would come and, and talk to you through the chain link fence. Correct. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. how, how did you deal with that? Like you, it's almost like you're in a minimum security prison or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, we were definitely fenced in because, you know, we were orphans and people did run away from there. Um, I had planned a few escapes while I was there, but never actually, I actually slid down the fire escape one time outside our, what was like a dormitory outside the room, slid down there. And, but then I was like, I don't, I don't really know where I'm going to go. So, uh, you know, at six years old, I wasn't quite sure where to go next. And so, yeah, but that's what it was like. So Doug, why didn't your grandparents who were raising your older brother, why didn't they adopt you? Well, like I said, I think my grandpa decided my, my grandma had a nervous condition, you know, uh, so she was still working. He was working. She was working. And he was like, there's no way we're going to raise any more of Sharon's kids. This is already too much of a burden on my wife. And so that's why. Yeah. And um, so I think maybe one, it was try to get my mom to straighten up, if you will. And um, two, it was you know, I, I think because he genuinely didn't think his wife needed to be, have that strain, have two more kids. So they weren't going to keep one of us and send the other one. So they put us both in the orphanage. And I guess back then, even though they weren't our legal gardens, they could do that. So wow. that's just how it worked back then. So and talk about a tough, tough decision. I mean, it brings up so many questions. One, what happened to your mom and what happened to your sister? Okay. So my mom, um, uh, she had a few other kids, which I can tell you about that in a minute, but after me, so I was the third. And then there were, I think we think four more, um, maybe five, I think four more. But um, so after I got adopted, you know, my, the reason my mom would leave us because she had a habit. And so I do believe that she really loved us and was doing the best she could. But again, they didn't have a lot as much help back for those kind of things. And so she was just in that life. She was single, of course, her husband was in prison, all that kind of stuff. So it was just, you know, a rough life. And when you and so, say a habit, you're like a heroin habit or. Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. And heroin and other drugs too, I think, but, but yeah, that. And so I, my sister and I both were in incubators when we were born because we were a little bit premature. So I think that had something to do with it. And, and so she'd had my sister at some point, she'd already given up a couple of kids for adoption, as I understand it as babies. One she had when she was in prison for a short time. And so that baby was, I don't think she ever even met that baby other than birth. And, but my sister was the last one and she kept her. And so my little half sister was, um, you know, grew up with my mom. And, and so my mom ended up, she, she ended up dying one night. She bled to death uh, out of her, I don't know if it's too graphic, but anyway, because of all the drug use and all the abuse she had experienced in her life and so that was probably that was literally like a year and a half after I became a Christian I think when when she died and we got in touch with her my sister like I said my older sister 
had gotten in touch with her a few years before. And I got a phone call one time. I was in Montana at this time. And I got a phone call. You know, my sister was like, hey, Doug, uh, mom's on the phone. She wants to talk to you. And I'm thinking our adopted mom. I'm like, why would you call me to tell me mom's on the phone? Like, right. okay, right. mama. And then it was my birth mom. And she was like, oh, hi, sweetheart. And that was the first time we had talked, you know, since I was a, you know, five-year-old kind of thing. And so, so we got back, I went out to see her and visit her and we had a, we were able to develop a relationship again for a couple years, four or five years, probably before she ended up dying. But that's how I met my little sister. And I was able to get her to come to California few years after he became a Christian. And then we were able to, you know, convert her. And I said, Hey, I've got this guy I'd like for you to meet that was in my ministry. And, and sure enough, they met and they're married now for 20 plus years with three kids. And <laughs> okay. So, so your yeah. younger half sister became a disciple and then married a disciple. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Okay. What now, Doug, what was it like going back to where you were, you know, like your early years with your mom? Tell me about that experience. Yeah. Um, well, should I tell you real quick about my older sister? So please go ahead. Yeah. She suffered more than I did from our childhood and, and, you know, basically became an alcoholic and we'd actually gotten her to come out to California too, in about 1996. And she stayed with us for a while and, and she actually started studying the Bible. She'd stopped drinking. She was, she was pretty unhealthy at that point in time because of it. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman, but it was hard to even recognize her, but she started getting better and, Anyway, eventually Angela would see her dipping outside and then she finally sort of followed her and realized she was hiding liquor under the house and would slip outside to drink it before she would come back in. Mm. And then she, so she eventually stopped studying, went back to Dallas where she was from. And so we thought, oh my goodness, that was her chance. And she was so close and why it's never going to happen. And, and then she went back to her boyfriend and got sick again. And he was literally buying her boxes of wine, feeding her wine while she's in bed. Cause she's so, so I got a call one day saying, Hey, you need to come to Dallas. Your sister's in the hospital and she's not going to make it. And, uh, eventually I did, you know, we did go out, not eventually, but pretty quickly thereafter we studied with her a little bit. Um, and you know, some, some beautiful women in the church in Dallas studied with her. We actually, you know, we're trying to get the, ho the hospital to let us baptize her in their physical therapy pool. And they were trying to find out, trying to find out, but we didn't know how much time. So we eventually went down there and we came up on the elevator afterwards. You know, she's soaking wet in her wheelchair. The door opens and the nurse says, I got great news. And she looked and saw Karen and said, looks like you already did it. So um, <laughs> that's how, you know, she became a Christian and, oh. and yeah, yeah. And and then she passed away six weeks later, but the church in Dallas was just amazing. They oh, went and yeah. visited her and loved up on her. And so, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. But so then you, you just asked me a question. What was it? What was, what was it like going back and seeing your oh. birth mom? Uh, well, one, it's that age old story, you know, you go back to, cause they were in the same house bizarrely. So it had to be 20 years later, I guess, probably close to 20 years 18 years later, I think still in the same house. And it was tiny compared to what I remember. I was like, <laughs> Oh wait, where's the rest of it? You know? And, and, uh, so that was, that was interesting, but you know, we went back and again, it was East Dallas, which was by now a very rough area uh, by that time. And so she had bars on the windows, bars on the front porch because she was making her living by, by, you know, dealing. And she'd been broken into several times and, and beaten up and robbed. So they had, it's safe like that. And so that was, that was strange, but beyond that, it was, 
you know, this is before I became a Christian, but it was a really beautiful sort of reunion. And she just, it was clear to me that she loved me always and missed me always. And so I genuinely believe that, you know, she just had a habit that ruled her, you know, controlled her. And, and so we had a really beautiful reunion and, and got along great and met my older brother again. You know, I remembered him, but by now he's totally different. He's a grown man with beard and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, but he still lived there. So it was a different life than my wife and our kids grew up and that's for sure, oh you know, gosh. but, but it was, it was a great thing in, in, in so many ways, although it was strange and hearing all the stories was nice. Cause I don't know my past. And so she filled a lot of gaps in, but wow. You mentioned that you've discovered you had another brother. Yeah. So I'm sure your listeners have all heard of ancestry.com or 23andMe, but <laughs> I did an ancestry. My, my little sister, the one I spoke about uh, a minute ago, she got us into that. She's, she really is into it. So she got us into it. They actually came out here once uh, to hang out with us. And we went to this library. That's a really famous library. Uh, genealogy library. Genealogy library. It's second only to the Mormon tabernacle for genealogies. And so looked up a bunch of stuff there, but she always checks. I, I sort of found out who I was and, and, you know, my DNA profile and never really look at it that much, but she always does. So I gave her my password. And so she's always checking mine. Well, she called me last week, you know, a week ago tomorrow. And she called me and she said, Hey, someone popped up on your, your DNA line. That's actually ahead of me. There's a closer relative than me, your half sister. And it was this, daughter so it was turns out long story short turns out to be my niece so so she, because the only reason she popped up closer than than shannon was because her dad has the same mom and dad as me and so through her shannon was figuring it out and finally we figured out who the dad was and we're like okay let's try to find it on facebook and you know shannon couldn't wait i i said i'm going to i'm going to but i was tr doing some things and i just wanted to wait till i was ready in case he responded and sure enough she called me and she goes i've got him on the phone Oh my gosh. So this was, yeah, this, this was, was Tuesday. This was Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> she texted me during our staff meeting and said, answer the phone now. Pick up now. And I'm like, I'm just finishing up staff. I can't. And so sure enough, um, gentleman's name is Kelly Avon. And he didn't, he knew it was adopted, but he didn't really know anything else. But through what we told him and the DNA profile, it was, it was obvious that, you know, that that's what happened. So yeah, I'm going to probably during the uh, small church workshop, in Dallas, I'm going to come to that. And then probably before that, go there and he's in Dallas. So I'm going to go and meet him and uh, hopefully meet his daughter and her husband and, and Angel come with me and my little sister, hopefully too, will be able to come. So it'll be sort of a family reunion for him. And of course, he's full of questions. We have a little bit more information because we've been in touch with Shanna for all these years and she grew up with mom. So um, so he's really, he's super excited yeah. and his Facebook is blown up. My Facebook is blown up. So it's been pretty cool. Okay. So that's, your your full brother, so full your, brother, your yeah. birth mom and your birth dad had had this boy older, younger. He's younger. He's four years younger. So probably when I was still living with my mom, but now with my grandparents, while she was, I think probably right before she went to prison, she got pregnant from my dad, and and I assume that was probably on a conjugal visit, you know, to visit him in prison. Right. And and so we never even knew she was pregnant in prison, so we never knew. And so we never, Shannon was asking me, didn't you know mom was pregnant? Cause Shannon wasn't born yet. And I said, I don't ever remember. I said, I would only been like four years, three or four years old anyway, but I don't remember any of that. And now we kind of know why I think because she was locked up at that time. 
And so he got adopted as a baby. He was sick as a baby right after he was born for about three to six months. And then like me, he was very healthy ever since then, but he had to stay in the hospital and got adopted from there. So that's, again, this is Tuesday. We talked one day, we're going to talk some more, but it's super fresh. So, wow, that's awesome. So you're, you were a preemie, a premature baby, your brother, your sister was, and then your half sister, or this, this brother that you just met, probably you're, what I guess is because of your mom using drugs while during the pregnancy or that's our assumption. Yeah. Okay. Either that or something in our DNA. I don't know, but our assumption is, you know, because he was sickly as well. Oh as, and, 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 and my brother and I both had hernias as babies and both had to have operations as babies for hernias. We just, you know, which is very bizarre that we would have that in common, but we did. It so. really is. It really is. Yeah. Okay, that's a lot of stuff that you just shared. I mean, for both of you guys, it's interesting to me that both of you have a very tr- troubled, troubled background. Is there anything else that that's been influential or that happened to you that has had a, has it had a big impact on your life growing up? Um, I think for me, uh, an additional part that people might imagine is just some sexual assault. It didn't come from anyone in my family, but just having a, a several experiences of, of being, um, you know, traumatized, I guess, if you want to say, uh, through the years, a few different times, uh, definitely had an impact on, you know, my life and how I saw the world and how I saw people. So yeah, I would say that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I didn't mention it before, but I was actually married for a brief time before I got met and became a Christian. And that falling apart, not working, that definitely, I'm sure, had some impact on me because of the perhaps childhood issues of abandonment and that kind of thing. But, you know, without going into it, she had every right. She was a really beautiful and sweet person. And God blessed her life, you know, uh, after me, which is really good because I was, I just was, a mess, you know, so I wasn't a good husband and wasn't a good person at that time. So, but no, no kids from that relationship. No, no. Again, you know, by grace of God, I know she's, she's got her own family. Of course I have my own family now. So, but yeah, it, uh, it just was a messy time. And I was really crazy back then, you know, yeah. party wise, drug wise and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, okay. So after hearing your whole story, I, I, I'm just left with so many questions and I'm sure people listening are just like, Whoa, that's intense. I guess the, one of the biggest questions is how, how did you guys pull yourselves together? You spent the last 35 plus years or so helping other people, leading churches, serving, you know, putting their lives together. And yet you guys have one of the shakiest personal foundations I've ever heard of. And I've counseled a lot of people's backgrounds. How can you just kind of walk me through, how did you guys put yourselves back together from that horrendous background? Uh, well, you know, this, this might sound a little, um, mystical, but, uh, I remember having this recurring dream when I was growing up that, um, I had fallen into some sort of body of water and I was drowning and there was sort of this invisible hand. I know this sounds crazy, but this invisible hand that would lift me up through the water every single time, but I had this dream reoccurring. And so when I was during the time I was studying the Bible, did I know that? 
I think I've told you uh, several something times. New, learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds kind of wonky, yeah. but but I bring it up because when I was studying the Bible, I had remembered that I'd had that dream so many times. And and to me, you know, looking back, I thought that was God. You know, that's how I saw God in my life. That even though there was these things where I felt like I was drowning in a pool, God sort of, you know kind of picked me up and raised me up from the bottom. And even though there was a lot of things that had happened in, throughout my life, I could look back and I could see the different times where God was, was working in my life, you know, how he would protect me or how some, how something would, would come, you know, present itself in some sort of harmful way, but I would be protected or, even, even the way that I wasn't raised by my birth mother, you know, um, I love her dearly. And, you know, she raised my, my sisters, but I think just who I am as a person, um, there was just even some protection and things that I, I see through, um, the fractured life that God had for me and things that he was doing. So I think being able to look back and see God in my story and in his story was a huge thing. Um, there's a verse in Ephesians 5:16 that talks about the days are evil, make the most of every opportunity. And I had done some study about that. And basically the idea that making the most of every opportunity is basically redeeming time. Like you're, you're, you're sort of snatching time from any kind of evil or worldly intention and you're making the most of it. You're redeeming that time and using it for good. And so that's how I look at my life is that God redeemed my history, but he also redeemed my future that I did not need to be um, defined by all that. I didn't need to be held hostage to it, but I could use it in a way to honor God, to glorify God and to help so many people. And of course we encounter people that have gone through so many similar traumatic situations, but also, you know, other kinds of trauma of their own. And just being able to have somebody that relates to you in some form or fashion or understands what it's like to feel, you know, lost or victimized or whatever the case may be, I, I think makes a huge difference in being able to share the gospel. Not that you have to have these hard life stories to share the gospel and make a huge difference in life because everybody's got their own story, but just that's how we've approached it is that God has really taken our path forward and he's made it something completely different. He redeemed that time for us. Wow. So that's been a big, I think, perspective for both of us. So you had a, you've had a recurring dream that there's a, you fall into water, you're, you're, you're kind of drowning, starting to drown and a hand comes from underneath and lifts you back up out of it. Yeah. That is awesome. Like two times, three times, or, or like countless um, times? Probably maybe five, six times. That's maybe amazing. That yeah. And I, you know, I know I actually did fall into water when I was around four or five years old and was drowning. Um, so part of it is a memory, but part of it is just, uh, you know, because obviously there was no, you know, real hand, right. big, huge sure. hand in sure. the water. But I think in my dream, it was always kind of there. And, and I just had made that connection studying the Bible. That that's really how I'd felt that wow. God, I was drowning and he rescued me. How about you, Doug? I think, you know, obviously becoming a Christian was massive yeah. and certainly scriptures, like whatever you give up, you won't fail to receive a hundred times. And it was family, you know, mothers and fathers and all those things. And 
And so, you know, what I'd like to say is, oh, once I really saw the love of Christ, I decided to never be mad about anything again, you know, and, and that certainly has helped. I think it's been huge, but if I'm totally honest, I, I just think that God blessed me with a different kind of perspective because honestly, it wasn't until I became a Christian and, you know, started sharing my story a little bit. And, and even after I didn't really share it while I was studying that much, cause it didn't necessarily come up, but after I became a Christian and was in the church for a while and actually went to ministry, I, I think, I don't know, it might've been Greg or Jay Kelly was the first one I really talked to about. And, and it wasn't until their reaction that I realized, Oh, I've got a, I've got a traumatic story. I've got a, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I think, you know, again, being completely honest, I guess, because I'm, I'm not a super deep thinker, you know, and uh, uh, I don't get in my own head a lot. And I think, again, I don't know, it may be a slam on me. I'm not sure, but yeah. I've always just preferred to be happy and, you know, who doesn't, right? But I mean, it's just, it's been a stronger thing in me, you know, like, well, yeah, I could worry about that or I could fret over that or I could be discouraged by that. But, and so much so like when I was a, a kid, say junior high or whatever, I never got sick. I missed, you know, one day of school between, you know, fourth grade and my senior year, one day because I was sick, that was in eighth grade. Any other days I missed is because as I got older, I would skip sometimes, but, um, but so I was healthy and usually always happy. So if I ever came to school in not, you know, a great mood, it would always be, what's the matter? What's the matter? Even teachers sometimes, what's wrong, Doug? And it drove me nuts a little bit. Like, what do I have to be? So I think I dealt a lot of it with humor as well. And so I think if I wasn't being funny one day it was people like what's wrong with you why aren't you you know that kind of thing and so I think God gave me that innate it was a gift you know because like I said my sister the trauma that we went through and and I I, I think hers was worse I really do and um but she she reacted the other way and you know it, it messed her up she couldn't get past things and and that kind of stuff and messed her up in relationships and messed her up and and not that my schemas or whatever didn't mess me up at times as well but I think, you know, so I think that was, I kind of had a natural gift from God, not anything of my own. And then I think certainly becoming a Christian, like I, I really felt, you know, amazed that I was forgiven. I, it would amaze me that God would, all the dirt in my life, that God would really wipe it away and forget it. And I remember Kurt Simmons saying shortly after I became a Christian, have you ever thought about the ministry? And I was like, I go, I know this is going to sound strange, Kurt, but yeah, I have. But of course, I disqualified myself by the way I've lived up till now. So, you know, and he's like, no, you, you, you don't quite still get grace, you know, and, uh, um, you know, and of course, it was shortly thereafter that I ended up in the ministry. But yeah, I think that's when you say that's how I, I yeah. deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. You don't go through that kind of a background without having some kind of an impact in your day to day life. What, what is the the consequence what do you guys wrestle with on a on a day-to-day basis that you, you think ties back to your upbringing um i think for me it can be i can still wrestle with that negative thinking about myself like the worth issue the worth and value um can plague me sometimes and i also think maybe it's attached to that too, but just the trust, you know, trusting is still a challenge. I'm certainly grown in it a lot, but sometimes trust can be, I'm always going to be 
like Doug will trust you until there's a reason not to. And I'm more, I don't trust you till there's a reason to trust you is our natural, I think, inclinations, how we're wired. Um, and so, yeah, I think those two things are a little, I'm, I tend to be a little more reserved in relationships at first. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what I would say for me. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I think for me, maybe it's, how do I put it? Maybe it's, I want to be, is it appreciated or I feel like I give a lot of grace and uh, forgive people relatively easily. And people have said that about me, you know, and uh, which again, is just, I think lucky it's a luck, luck of the draw. It's like having a head of hair at 60 years old. It's just a luck <laughs> of the draw. And, uh, 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 you know, partially I think because I really feel I've been forgiven of so much and he was forgiven much, forgives much, you know, loves much. And, um, but I think because of that, I can be hurt a little more easily in, in certain things when I feel like I don't get the grace back when I feel like sometimes it's challenging for people to hold me to a standard. I feel like they don't hold themselves to, or, you know, that kind of thing. So I, there's something in there that I'm sure comes from being an orphan and, and from all those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, I mean, how about you, you guys seem like you're, your marriage seems awesome. I mean, you guys, I was telling you guys this in the, the pre-interview. If, if ministry doesn't work out for you guys, modeling, definitely. You've got a future there. I mean, you guys are both super. She's gorgeous. Uh, you know, very handsome people. Physically, you look great. How has it impacted your marriage? What have you guys had to, to work through in terms of just your marriage? It seems like you guys are happy. Anything going on that you've had to really kind of compensate for or? Yeah, um, I think especially uh, in the start, you know, we have an age difference. Um, I'll let Doug say the age difference if he prefers to, but he's he's a little older than I am. I'm 59. She's 53. Yeah. So, so there you go. If you can do math. Uh, <laughs> but the first the first year was pretty challenging, I think, especially on my side of things there. It just the lack of trust and the fear. Uh, really came to the forefront because now I have just made myself totally vulnerable to another person um, in every way. I'm I'm committed to you for the rest of my life. I mean, every way there's intimacy and vulnerability, and and that was that was really rough. I wasn't quite expecting to feel the way I felt, and you know we are very different in our personalities and our characters in many ways. And so um, I found myself just wrestling with some deep insecurities and fear of, of, you know, being rejected. If you really know who I am, if you really see kind of into my soul, you're going to run for the hills because why wouldn't you? My parents did, which again, is not really true, but that was the emotional feeling there. So I think that kind of affected the way that I was defensive with him a lot, um, you know, not easy to deal with because I was just so fearful. And I think he was unaware, I think, of some of those, some of those things. And so the way Again, I was the lack of being a deep thinker, I was <laughs> clueless. So yeah, he was a little bit clueless. So we just had some real conflict for for a good while. Um, thankfully, we had so many great, wonderful people in our lives that were committed to meeting with us on a continual basis to help us work through those things. I think over time, those became less and less of an issue because uh, the trust was stronger and stronger. I think now, um, what are our issues now? Probably just 
little, little dumb irritations that you have in marriage, you know, cause we're together so often 24 seven. So right. there's probably just some little, but I think for the most part, some of the, we, you know, I look at it as God used our relationship to heal each other, that he's, he's healed a lot of the past through one another mm-hmm. because we saw and we felt a loyalty from the other person. And no matter what we've gone through, we've gone through hard times, even as Christians, and even in the full-time ministry, our tendency is to get closer to each other during those times rather than pulling away. So I think we've just, you know, really found a stability in one another. That, I mean, that alone is amazing because to me, of course, I'm not a psychologist, but I would think got to be abandonment issues, fear of like, Hey, is this person going to run out on me? Obviously there's been so much instability in your background but you guys have been so stable. So it's very, very inspiring. Um, Let me just ask you this, this talking about hard times in the ministry, Doug, I think you, you shared that you had gotten fired in Houston back in the, you know, the turmoil surrounding 2003. Then you went back. Okay. (laughs) Why? Okay. I'm just wondering why can you share a little bit about that story? Um, I find that interesting, kind of switching over here from just your personal history to your ministry career. Yeah, so we were, you know, <clears throat> out here in 2001, and um, uh, there was a big shakeup in our family of churches in 2003, and we ended up, you know, the fire is maybe a little strong, but who knows? it might have gotten there, I don't know, but uh, I think because of so much turmoil and and the church was going through our, our churches across the world were going through things that we'd never gone through. And so because everybody was going through things, we really didn't have the help from each other that we normally had. So you were kind of in a sense on your own for the first time. And, you know, I didn't handle everything as well as I should have. I learned a lot through that. And so we were end up, you know, Hey, basically asked to resign. And so um, <clears> there <throat> was a very, you know, which led to, you know, almost two very challenging years, you know, in, in, in our life. But like Angel said, our marriage did really well through that, which was certainly a benefit. And we learned things, you know, Rob, as I'm sure you know, that we could have never learned in any other way, right. which I think made us better ministers uh, when we got back in the ministry shortly thereafter. But yeah, we were in LA and, you know, there was a big turmoil, as I said. And after that, a lot of us who were in, you know, in the ministry, as we got back in shortly thereafter, and those of us were still in, we kind of had this sort of mantra that, hey, I just want to work somewhere where, you know, I love my ministry, of course, but where I have friends I work with and people I can really trust. And I just, I just want to, that's where I want to live out, finish out my career surrounded by those kind of people. And so we were kind of of that mindset and we found ourselves in that situation in Los Angeles, um, with some, you know, great friends, the rocks, the, uh, salsas and, uh, loungeberries and, and, uh, just really loved our whole ministry thing that we were doing our minute, our ministry there. We love to death Riverside, California, great friends uh, in the ministry there. And and then out of nowhere, you know, we kind of followed Houston ever since then. And we saw that they'd had some ups and downs and, and were, you know, some challenging times and, and like every church. And, and so just kind of out of nowhere, we were, Gordon Ferguson came to visit LA and he pulled us, you know, had lunch with us. And uh, the first question he asked us as we sat down to eat lunch was, so let me ask you, um, are you guys still willing to go anywhere and do anything for Jesus? <laughs> we kind of felt like, oh man, that's harsh. Like yeah, my response was, that's a little offsides, you know. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we're like, you know, it's sort of one of those things where, like, 
yeah, I mean, we certainly want to be Lord, <laughs> Lord, I do believe help me overcome my unbelief. And, and, uh, but we, but we also kind of felt like, you know, we've moved a lot and there are people here in this church in the ministry that have been where they are for many, many years. So maybe, maybe talk to them, you know, um, we've already done more than our fair share of moving and we're very happy here. And, but, you know, we didn't get off of it. And so we ended up interviewing and uh they were also interviewing you know someone else and so i went back home and you know we were praying about it and and you know there's a part of us that that wanted to come and help and a big part of us said like we're really happy where we are so we're sort of in a perfect situation here you know uh but as i prayed about it you know i've shared this with people here they know too but as i was praying as i was in la and they were making their decision i was like okay lord because of what happened there before if they choose the other person and the other person says no and then they come to me, I'm not going, you know, mm -hmm. because I'm not going to be the second choice. I'm not going to be, the last you know, resort. the last resort, you know, um, I need to be wanted. I need to be, we want you to right. do it. kind of thing. And so I was praying kind of like that, like, you know, sort of like, right, God, I mean, you get it, you know, you were there, you saw what we went through and, 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 and God sort of shook me in the middle of my prayer and said, what are you talking about? Who cares who they ask or don't ask? If I want you there, you're going to get asked. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what I felt like God told me, like, don't worry about all that other stuff. If that, they ask someone else, it's I want you there right. or I'm not going to ask you to go there. Right. You know, and it was like, oh, so. So sure enough, I, I think I think as it came down, the other person was you know, a phenomenal candidate and, and they did ask them. And, but I think they were kind of unable to because of different things had come up and um, they had another opportunity, I think, that was closer to home, closer to their heart, I think. So they ended up, sure enough, it's what happened. You know, they came to me and, and uh, but because I'd had those prayers and been praying every day and God finally told me that, I was like, okay, well, God wants me to do it, you know? And that's why, you know, not to over-spiritualize it, but we really felt like if we just said no at that point, you know, we would have felt like we were saying no to God, mm. you know, because we felt pretty convinced, really convinced. I mean, that it was God asking us. And so, yeah, we came and certainly the first few years weren't without their ups and downs and bumps, but man, what an incredible blessing. This is such a great church and we have phenomenal elders and staff and, you know, it's just been a huge blessing in our life. And, you know, at the time we couldn't, even after the first couple of years, we didn't know, man, are we going to be able to survive this, you know? And, and, um, uh, but man, it's just been, it's been a, a, a real gift and I see it as a blessing from God. And, and I see with our past too, I just see God's grace. Like we really have no business you know, we're not the most highly educated people. We're not the, you know, we, we really are, you know, unschooled, ordinary men and women, even though she's gorgeous. But so I see God's grace in that. And I think going back to a previous question, Rob, it's, that's part of, I think, how I deal with my past and everything is that no matter what happened then, I, certain things, I wish I'd had the true grandma and grandpa who doted on me kind of experience, you know, sort of thing. But man, God's just shown me so much grace and continues I mean, you know me, brother, so you know he's got to give me grace for me to still be here, right? <laughs> uh, I genuinely believe that, though. And But, yeah, the boundaries have fallen in pleasant places for us. It's been a great blessing to be here. amazing. Yeah. Um, I will say, too, or just to add to that, when during that period of time when, you know, we were asked to resign here, we were still here for probably another, what, a year, year. and a half, yeah. year. And so, you know, we had to go. It was hard. It was hard. We had to go find other jobs. Oh, so you, you didn't get fired. You were forced to resign. Okay. But you stayed in Houston for a period of time working yeah. in a secular job. Yeah. So okay. we, we, the only reason that we stayed was because we owned a home here and we were trying to sell it and we couldn't sell it. We actually moved it. for a brief six weeks. We thought we were moving. We moved all of our stuff uh, to Florida and because we thought we had something work lined up there. And then 
after about five weeks, you realize, whoops, it's not lined up. And this is, so our house didn't sell for whatever reason, God didn't let our house sell. And so we just packed all our stuff, literally loaded it all up and moved back, which you can imagine that was very challenging in and of itself, as you can imagine. And and then, yeah. Yeah. So during that time period, um, I would say we were both really wrestling a lot. I think one of the things that ended up happening for me is, um, you know, when we became Christians, because maybe somewhat because of our backgrounds, the, the, the church was really our family. Like we came in feeling like we've got, God has given us a family and this is so awesome and amazing. We get to serve it, you know, this and that. So when that happened and because of the crisis, everybody was going through, everyone was kind of, you know, dealing with their own thing. So when we weren't full time anymore, all of a sudden there was just kind of silence everywhere. And it was very strange. And, um, but it, it really brought up a lot of that kind of rejection abandonment kind of feeling, I think, especially in me and, and probably for him too, where you just kind of felt like, Oh, okay. So we're just done with you. You mm-hmm. know, we used you and now we're done. And that I found myself in a real bad place with that. And, wrestling with a lot of anger, bitterness, fear, God, why would you do this? Why would you do this to us? And now we're in this position financially and all these different things. And so I would have these kind of knockout drag out prayers with God where, you know, when I was in my right mind, I was a little fearful of the aftermath of those kind of prayers, but, but we wrestled a lot. And so I saw that there was a a lesson in all that for me was that I needed to find my security and stability in God and really trust him and that he wasn't done with us. And it was interesting because the jobs, the, the first job I got was in sales. And as soon as the, the people that I was working, my coworkers found out what I had done prior to it, all of a sudden I became kind of the resident minister and people were, Hey, can we go to lunch? I just need to tie, I need some help. Some counseling. You know? And so it really kind of helped me to see that God was like, I can, you know, I can work through you no matter where you are, or what you're doing. You're not done. It's yeah. just, I have some things that I want to, you know, teach you or, you know, And so that was really a great uh, lesson for me. And it really helped my heart to soften and kind of work through that issue. So by the time, you know, I felt surrendered, then our house sold (laughs) and then we moved to LA, but we we weren't exactly excited to move back at that time, not because we didn't want to go, but just because we didn't want to leave. Whereas when we went to Florida, it was sort of get us out of here. Right. Um, But God said, no. I'm going to bring you right back to where, where it happened. And I'm so grateful that he did that because I think we would have carried the bitterness and resentment with us where if we would have just been able to leave, we would have never really worked through and resolved those things. And because we did, it allowed for us to be willing to come back and, you know, and to be with the same people and, and really, yeah, give and our I think, hearts you know, here. part of it too was, I realized pretty quickly on after we came back from Florida in that short time, I realized pretty quickly, like, man, we're, you know, I can't be that mad because they don't totally know how to, how to go forward either. They just trying to figure it out. And, Mm -hmm. and like I said, I, I definitely was less than perfect in my leadership during that time. I I try to do my best, you know, under the circumstances, but, but, you know, so it was, I mean, you know, and again, just that ability, you know, Angela's like, how can you, like, I was, you know, spending time with some of the guys and playing golf with them. And she's like, those are the people that, you know, ask you to resign. How are you? But I'm just like, I got to get over this. I got to, you know, it's going to mess me up spiritually if I don't, you know? And so, um, so that was, you know, cause as you know, Rob, typically when that happens, people move. Oh yeah, definitely. 
it's really hard to stay there. Absolutely. You've never been in the ministry. It might not make sense to you. Why would that be so hard? You know, mm-hmm. um, but it, it is, you, you get very hard. And so, but, but God sort of forced us to stay. Wow. And obviously I think, you know, I look at it cause he said, no, not, not only am I not done with you, but you're going to be in the ministry shortly and uh, <laughs> you're learn some things here uh, before you go back in. So. Okay. I, I want to talk about the word trauma. When I hear your story, I go, now that's trauma. That is like, if you look up in Wikipedia, there's your faces right there. And it's like trauma growing up. I mean, you've got it all. You've got sexual assault. You've got, you know, raised in a drug, drug environment, abandonment, or I mean, just every bad thing you just about you've, you've, you can relate to. And yet the word trauma has become super popular and prevalent in the culture today. And in many ways, it's, it's kind of like if, if you contradict me or if you don't agree with me, that's causing me trauma. And the word has come to mean something totally different. Any thoughts on that or any, uh, I just kind of want to get your view on that coming from your background. Uh, yeah, that's a difficult one because I do think that, you know, at different times, uh, words come to mean different things. Um, you know, I know that, you know, the scripture says each heart, you know, knows its own bitterness and no one can share its joy. So I know that what might be trauma to me might be different than to somebody else. And there's, you know, I, of course you can always find people that you feel like have, have more, like even us, we can talk to somebody else and go, Oh my goodness, they've been through some amazing things. We could feel like their trauma is more traumatic than ours. And, you know, so I do think that, you know, there's that aspect of it. And I think sometimes words can just become kind of a, you know, a popular, you know, maybe the usage of trauma now is a little bit different and maybe it kind of diminishes you know, the original meaning of, right. of trauma in some ways. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure how to answer that other than to say that, you know, uh, trying to make sure that we don't, that we're careful not to judge other people's traumas. I think we've had to just even sin. Cause I'm sure for us, sometimes we felt like, you know, we're the worst of sinners, <laughs> Um, or there's always somebody that's, you know, everybody's better than we are, or maybe we're better than them or whatever. So we have those different classifications, but I, but I do think that, you know, um, I definitely agree with that. I, I, part of me though, feels like when, when people call things trauma, it minimizes what trauma really is. Mm -hmm. And I think it also, uh, you know, and again, the standard for me, trauma is not, well, if it's worse than me, that's traumatic. Right. I don't feel that way at all, but I do feel like, you know, to, to call a disagreement trauma, you know, it's like, I, I just feel like that minimizes it and it makes everything traumatic now, which therefore makes nothing traumatic. And, and, and I think it's hurtful to an individual to think they've gone through trauma, like, oh yeah, my life's been rough too, because I, because I think it can make you feel less grateful. And, and I think it can give you a twisted sense of, uh, of being, if you will, and, and can make it harder to be grateful, I think yeah. is like I said. And so I, I think, um, kind of lost my train of thought, but and maybe it keeps you in sort of a, you know, cause I think for us, as we've shared our stories, the goal was always to expose whatever we've gone through to the healing of Jesus, you know, 
the goal wasn't to sit in it or ruminate on it. It was how can I be healed of this? Because there's a promise from God that, you know, by Jesus's stripes and wounds that we can be healed. And so I think we were always after what's this healing? How do I get healed? And, uh, and that's a work in progress. I mean, even 35 years later, there's still, you know, peelings off the onion that you, you have to keep exposing to, you know, so, so I would say, you know, I think that, you know, if, if we, if we overuse that too much, I think it can make us maybe uh, have too much of an attachment to, you know, I, w- I really want to have, this is really hard for me versus the attachment to, I want to be a healed, whole, healthy person that, you know, that Jesus yeah. promises, which is always going to be, you know, a work in progress, yeah. but and sometimes I talk to young people, Rob, that they're like, well, you have a story and you've been through so much. And, you know, maybe even sometimes you you went out and did a lot of things. And maybe someone who grew up in the church, you know, feels like I haven't experienced any of that. I didn't have any of that. And so in a sense, I, I hear them saying, I, I want to have a story, too. And so I think sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll want to call things trauma that may not in the truest definition be trauma. Part of it's just that we want to have a story. We, we want to you know, um, to have the, some experiences, even though we don't really want to go through the pain right. of really having that trauma, we, we want a story. Right. And I think some young people can wrestle with that. I, I understand it. Mm-hmm. I just wish I could say, hey, but, you know, you don't want to go through what I went through. I'm not only talking about the right. orphanage and all that kind of, I'm talking about just the sin of my life. Because right. some, I've had young people literally say, but you had a lot of quote unquote fun or sold your wild oats. And then you became, and I'm like, man, you just don't know all the damage I did to other people, all the damage I did to myself. Uh, all the things that I had to undo because of all that damage, all the things I can't unsee or unremember. So, you, you know, you you just, I just wish I could help them see what a blessing if they could look at their life down the road mm. and see what it would be like without the trauma and with it, you know, it's like they would choose without it for sure, yeah. uh, you know, in order. So there, there are times when I look back on things that I've done or said, I mean, thoughts, memories will just fly into my head and I'll just cringe or I'll just go, Oh God, I'm so sorry. And mm-hmm. you know, it troubles me. I mean, they, they can be minor things or, or, or bigger things, but I'll just, how do you, how do you shake off the past? I mean, it, I'm, how do you, you guys seem so grounded and so forward focused, how any advice to help a person just kind of move forward and not, not be, fixated on the past? Well, I I would say, you know, when we, when we read the story of the Bible, you know, what's so inspiring is the Bible is so full of, you know, for traumatic events, right? It's got everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but when we read it, we're looking for, you know, God in the story, God through the whole, the whole history through everything. And I think that that's really something that I would encourage people to do is to look at their life. And I I don't mean by any stretch to ignore it, stuff it, you know, try to, you know, will it away, but just looking back through your life and seeing God through your life, even through the really most challenging situations, I could see looking back how God was weaving himself in my story. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a huge thing. I think for me is just making sure that we we're looking for God, because then we can look for, for him. Now we can look for what is he doing for my future? You know, and we can see God in it and it doesn't feel like we're just, you know, we're, we're just held hostage to our past. 
Now, I will say, obviously, there's there's great import, importance in resolving and healing and working through, you know, processing those things um, is really important so that we can move through them. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, like Paul says, you know, you think about all the things that Paul went through, read about the Bible, the beatings and the persecutions and the imprisonments and all those. Uh, and he could yet he could say forgetting what is behind and straining mm -hmm. towards what is ahead. And again, I think just yeah, sometimes you got to make a decision, right? You can't just decide everything away, but you just make a decision that I'm going to focus on what's before me, not what's behind me. Mm -hmm. You know, if I need to talk about that, I will. I mean, we were very lucky to have people like, you know, uh, Jay and Carol Kelly in our life as young Christians, Greg and Kathy Moretzky, you know, they grounded us in the faith. They grounded us in life. You know, they were to us, you know, very normal people, you know, and, and they didn't all have perfect childhoods, you know, either, but, but better than ours, if you will. And, and so, you know, we had, we had lots of help in that way and we used it. We took advantage of it. We talked about our feelings, talked. And so I think, you know, for young people to, to be able to, if it's anyone, but especially young people, it's like, make sure you find someone like that. You have that mentoring in your life that someone you can hold on to, someone that you can call family uh, and be grounded from that. And, and I think also do your best to genuinely, you know, forget what's behind. And sometimes it is a straining towards what is ahead. Right. It's not like, just oh, forget what's behind, just glide, glide forward. It's a strain <laughs> sometimes, but, but I think, you know, I just remember all the time, most of my prayers, I've almost every prayer I have, I still thank God for forgiving my sin, uh, both past and present. Yeah. And, but I think never losing the awe of that, never losing the sense of awe that I'm forgiven. Right. Like even the things I do now I'm forgiven. Like it's That's just right. mind, mind boggling, you know, and that helps me to, to not be bitter. And, and like you're even here, like I don't have any, I hardly have any bad memories, even though I know if I tried to conjure them up, I would, but most of my memories in Houston are just all good. You know, it's my my childhood kind of mostly all good, you know, so it's yeah. amazing. What are you guys excited about over the next 10 years? You guys looking forward to anything? Speaking of the future. Uh, we're hoping for some grandchildren, of course, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we've just been having a lot of discussions between the two of us, just what, you know, however long God has seen, you know, sees fit to have us on, on this planet. Uh, you know, what do we want this last next bit of our life to really look like? So I think we've been just kind of dreaming and scheming for how, you know, what can we do? How does God want to use us? How can we prepare, you know, those coming up behind us mm. and help them get ready to, you know, to carry things forward? So, right. You know. Yeah, I, I think we're, you know, we just share with the church. We had our 30th anniversary service last week. And uh, God really blessed. It was a great time. Everyone had such a blast being together. And, and uh, we had all kinds of people from way back in the day that were on the mission teams and, and people that were waiting here for the church to come. And they all got to share. And it blew a lot of the young people's minds who had no idea, you know, and, 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 uh, and just encouraged us old timers to, to remember the inspiration. And so, yeah, we, we, you know, we want to plant churches still, you know, out of, out of, out of Houston. We definitely want to see young people raised up. And that's been even more on our focus, even just in the last several months. But we have a vision that, you know, we want to be like Caleb and be used by God. And, and uh, we figure we'll be in Houston for a long time to come, you know, so a lot of it will be here, but then who knows what God will do. But our vision is, man, we really want to see, uh, we want to see a lot of the great things that have happened in the past. We just want to see them again. Yeah, you know, we want, to, right. we want to be here for that. That's you know, right. I think that would be incredible, you know. Now, I think you guys mentioned, you guys 
going to be going to the CLIMB conference in Dallas? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. I'm really excited. Thank you for coming. I think it's going to be an awesome time. Yeah, we hope to have some of our staff come too. So, because they all lead like small churches, if you will, in a sense. So, right, right. Um, I think it'll be great. Any any advice for those people who want to make this life count? You guys have had a, a really interesting background, and you guys have used your lives to make this life count. Really, to take, like you said at the beginning, Angela, you really read. You know, God's redeemed your life, but you guys have made the most of it. But just any advice for a person is like, man, I've, I've had kind of my own challenges here, but I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference for God. Uh, well, I, I think, you know, just go going back to even Acts chapter two and, and just how the disciples were just devoted to, you know, the, the scriptures, to prayer, to fellowship. Um, I think being devoted is, is a major key, right? Just giving your whole heart to things. And, uh, and then I've just spent, you know, I think over the last year and a half really praying for, um, to really see the opportunities that God will place in front of me so that I'm not just going through the days, you know, mindless, or even just kind of doing the practical things I know I should do as a full-time minister, but really looking for you know, being signaled by the spirit of God for opportunities, you know, that might come out of somewhere. And so I would say that too. I don't know if that sounds too nebulous, but, um, but I do think that God has work prepared for us in advance to do. I think sometimes we miss the opportunities that he puts before us maybe Mm -hmm. because we're not paying attention. Right. So I've been trying to, you know, focus myself in on, you know, those types of things. Yeah, I think that's such a key. Uh, um, I just look at my life and think, had I not devoted myself to this at, you know, at a younger age and not been, you know, all in, I mean, I didn't, I didn't dip a a toe in the pool. I just, you know, I went all in once I saw that's what it took. I went all in. And, and I think I've had people through the years that I was a baby Christian with, and, you know, that I've I've gone to be in the ministry for most of my Christian life. And I'll go back to a church somewhere and and they're always asked, you know, how do you stay passionate? How do you, And, and it's like, I don't have the exact answer. I mean, you know, the, obviously you stay in the word of God, you keep praying, but I think it's, you know, okay. I can't say as much as that, but I think almost as important as staying in the battle, just deciding, man, I, I've got to, I've got to stay in this thing. I've got to stay committed and recommitting all the time because it's easy to get, you know, different things happen. Right. And we, 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 we get discouraged or, you know, um, can't think of the word I'm looking for, but where you see things, you tend to see things, everything negatively and, right. and, you know, cynical, you know, yeah, and, right. and you just have to, as soon as you see that, you got to stop, you got to right. talk, you got to get past that. And, and I think just giving your whole heart, I think we have a lot of people that really want to do this, but they also want to do other things too. And not that other things are bad, but you get what I'm saying. Like right. you got to be all, this is one of those things we got to be all in on and God will provide everything else that's good and, and, and fun and all that if you allow him to. But I just find my life is more, is more fun when I'm fully, doesn't mean when I don't do anything but this, but right. when I'm all in, when it's like, I'm not bored with it or tired of it, or, you know, and, and I think you're gonna have moments like that in life, but you just got to get back to that place where it's like, man, this is, I'm so blessed to do this and who else can I help and what else can I do and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's great to talk to you guys. And I think about the scripture, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You guys are, are keeping that fire burning. And if anyone could make excuses, 
you guys could make them. I mean, you guys could just take all your marbles, go home and say, you know, if you knew my story, you'd know why I'm at where I, but you guys are some of the brightest, most joyful people that I know of. And the way that you continue to serve God is inspiring to me. And I think I'm sure it's inspiring to many other people. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story here on, on this show. Amen. Well, I'm sure this was the best podcast you've ever had. So I, I really <laughs> it may be very well, maybe. Yeah. Thank you so much, you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.